0: Well, good morning, Canterbury Gardens Community Church. Great to be with you this morning. My name is Dave Horn and I'm from City on a Hill in Melbourne. Um, my pastor and your pastor, Shabu, are good friends. And so it's a great privilege to build on that relationship today. So thanks for having me. Uh, today, I'm going to be teaching and preaching from Philippians chapter 4 verses 5 to 7. If you've got a Bible handy, uh, it would be great to get that out and engage with that this morning. Um, This is one of my favorite passages, uh, partly because I just love it, but partly because it's just got to be one of the, the top passages that as Christians, we commit to memory especially in 2020. So open up your Bibles. We're going to have a read from Philippians 4, verses 5 to 7, the second half of verse 5. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, about a month ago, I was at the supermarket and I got a call from my wife Lauren, who said, uh, "Dave, we've uh, I've just noticed that we can't drink the tap water anymore because of the storm last night. You're going to need to um, get a couple of litres of bottled water. I'm sure you remember when uh, when that happened." And I don't know about you, but when when I first heard it, I was like, of course. Of course we can't drink the tap water anymore. Of course it might kill us. It's 2020, the year of God's wrath on the world, apparently. Um, it just seemed like slowly the foundations of our life were being chipped away. And, uh, and now one of the most foundational things, clean drinking water, uh, was going as well. I don't, know, I don't know how the past few days or weeks or months or years for you have been. Uh, I don't, don't know you guys and um, I don't know what's going on in your life. But I know for me, I don't have to look back too far in my life. Before I remember the last time I was anxious about something, this year has just been nuts, right? Um, it, it's not so much the depth of suffering that we've had in 2020 so far. It's just the width of it. It, it's crazy that um, it's everyone has been affected by these by the lockdown and by the sickness and well, it's the rich and the poor it's the young and the old it's men women and children like I'm preaching to you now through uh, through my phone and I'm not because I'm a missionary on the field in the Amazon I'm in Nunawadding. and I'm still forced to to do this. it's just been a crazy year. Uh, but what we have in this passage in Philippians is a promise that God will supply grace uh, to us to the unknowns in our lives when we take them to him in prayer. When God says he would do something, and that's what we have here in Philippians, it's, it's Paul's words, yes, to the Philippians, but it's God's word, it's God's truth. And when God says that he will do something, we can take that to the bank That is a sturdy word, and we can build our lives on that. So a promise from God is like a tap of clean, pure drinking water that we can just go back to time and time again and drink from knowing that it is good, knowing that no storm of life is going to cancel the efficacy of this promise or to make it void. Um, There's nothing that can contaminate a promise from God. And so today we might be going back to a, a tap that you've drunk from many times before. Or maybe this is the first time that you've gone to Philippians 4. Um, but either way, drink up big because this is good for our souls. This passage invites us uh, it invites us to look at how God deals with our anxieties. But why should we believe him? Why should we uh, trust an unknown future to God? What is it about God that makes him trustworthy? Well, you and I know the past. We know what's happened in the past sometimes, bits of it. We know the present. But when it comes to the future, the all we've really got is guesses or projections uh, and really vain hopes. But God, God sits from a vantage point that's outside of time. He, uh, he knows the details of the past and they aren't blurry to him. Nothing that he sees or feels is subjective to him. And the future isn't based on his optimism or on all the data that he's collected. No, the future is known to him. He sees it and he's at peace about it. He's peaceful about it because he orchestrated it. He knows the future. He knows how it ends. He's not riding on the same roller coaster that you and I are. Okay, he's, he's out of it. He can see where the track goes. And he's telling you and I to hold on and to stick it out because he can see where the track goes. Our passage here in Philippians 4 starts with, The Lord is at hand. Now, when I first read it, uh, I thought it meant that the Lord's return is at hand. But actually, what it's saying is that the Lord is near, not not, um, in time, but in distance. It has to do with proximity, his proximity to us. The Lord is close by. Let's just take a second to understand the magnitude of that. Uh, No matter what your predominant view of God is, if it's that he is loving or caring or kind or just or authoritative um, to be feared, to be respected, to be worshipped, whatever it is that you first think of when you think of God. I'm not sure that any of us naturally see God as near. But that's incredible, isn't it? It's incredible that the God of the universe can say that he is near to us. And his nearness is good. God is good. In verse 4, Paul tells the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always. Because he is good, his nearness brings us comfort and joy and safety. And it's the combination of the goodness of his character with the proximity of his presence That we can rejoice always because he is good and he is near we can rejoice but not only is God good but he's been where we've been when Jesus came to earth he stepped into our shoes he slept like us he ate like us he got angry like us and he got anxious like us God knows our anxiety Because he experienced it through Jesus. Let's take a look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, Paul. All right, you need to hold up there a little bit, Paul. Don't be anxious about anything, Paul, my friend. You have no idea how anxious I have been lately. Uh, I've been stuck in my house with my three young kids for the last six months. Um... I'm also an ex-primary school teacher, and so I was programmed to be anxious. Uh, When I would teach PE, I would be anxious about uh, little Mary's anaphylaxis and whether I needed to disinfect all the basketballs before class, anxious about little Johnny's fascination with his own poo and whether I needed to disinfect all the basketballs after class, anxious about Tyler's mum and... uh, who looks, who looks like she's more ready to discipline me than her own son if I don't give him a good grade on his report. You see, when it comes to anxiety and stress and worries, we all have them. All of us, we all have them. Uh, and this verse, this passage is true for those anxieties. But the, the anxieties you have about whether your bum looks big in those pants. Whether, um, whether you're going to miss your train. That's not so much lately. Or whether Irina and Lockie are going to be the last two standing there at the end of the bachelor. And are they going to live happily ever after? Those anxieties, this verse is for those. But it's also for so much more. For so much more. You see, Paul is saying this, do not be anxious, to the christians in philippi christians in philippi were a minority um, christianity was not accepted and we know this because in acts uh, 16 verse 12 and 13 we're told that paul upon arriving in philippi had to go outside the city gate down by the river on the sabbath to find people of faith um, paul usually his strategy was to go into a new city and head straight to the synagogue But we can assume because of what Acts 16 tells us that there was no synagogue in Philippi. And uh, so Christians were meeting away from the city for their own safety. Uh, Philippi was also a leading Roman city. Uh, It was one of only six Roman territories that was outside of Italy. So you can bet that they wore their Roman colors proudly. But the Christian faith stood in stark contrast to Roman patriotism. See, Christians declare that there was only one God and he alone should be worshipped. But uh, Romans believe that Caesar was king and ruler over everything and above all else. So when Christians say Jesus is Lord, even if that's all they said, what the Romans hear is Jesus is Lord and Caesar isn't. So when Paul is telling them, do not be anxious about anything. He is referring to the big anxieties in life. You see, in 2 Corinthians, we find that the Philippians had also experienced extreme poverty. So here we have Paul saying, do not be anxious about anything to an audience that is meeting underground uh, to avoid persecution. And that's going through extreme recession, probably because of their uh, loss of income, because of their Christian faith. Christianity was really costly for these Christians. When we uh, tune in from our lounge rooms to watch church, we do so not expecting that the police are going to break in and throw us in jail for being Christians. We generally don't lose income because because of our businesses uh, are losing income because of our faith, because people know that we're Christians. But maybe you felt judgment. Maybe uh, you felt judgment from friends or family because you're a Christian. Maybe you've missed out on a boyfriend or a girlfriend because you're not willing to compromise on your faith. Maybe you've hit a ceiling in your career progression because your boss just hates that you're a Christian. You see, we have the presence of the Lord which allows us to not be anxious in those situations. But how does it allow us to not be anxious? Let's take a look at the next uh, the next bit in the passage. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, now we have the next piece of the puzzle. Now we understand why Jesus being near allows us to not be anxious because of the gift of prayer. You see, we all get anxious, but do we all fight our anxiety with prayer? Paul reminds the Philippians of how to dispose of their anxieties to God the Father through Jesus in prayer. What a gift that is from God to us. Because the Lord is near, we can have a conversation with the God of the universe. Just think about that for a second. You can pray to Him right now. You can pray to Him in the shower. You can pray to Him while you're standing in line at the supermarket. You have access to God because of Jesus. And yet, I don't know about you, but... I've totally taken that for granted. I, um, I often uh, don't use prayer as a way to respond to stressful situations. You know what happens when people get stressed? They don't normally pray. In fact, um, <laughs> when people get stressed, they stop being themselves and they start becoming a little bit crazy, okay? Personal experience for me. You say things you don't mean to in a way that you wouldn't normally, your logical thoughts just fly out the window, uh, and your your fuse just gets really short. And that's because humans weren't made to be temples of anxiety. We weren't made to store up worry and anger. Have you noticed how anxiety pulls your vision uh, and it pulls your vision down into our problems? Paul addresses it actually in verse 2. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. These poor ladies, can you imagine being disciplined by the Apostle Paul in the most popular book in human history? Paul is saying to them, listen, ladies, you're being petty and it's getting out of hand and it's affecting the church. You need to sort this out. He highlights that this sort of disunity, a loss of understanding of what the actual mission of the church is, is not an appropriate posture for Christians. Paul doesn't tell us what the problem is, but we can see that whatever the problem was has caused the attentions of these two women to zoom in on the problem rather than on Christ. I'm a visitor here at Canterbury Garden. So I don't know if this is a problem here at the church now or not. But I know that if it's not a problem now, then it probably was in the past or it will be soon in the future because we're all sinful humans. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to disagreements and problems, let me encourage you to not allow them to escalate to the point where it distracts from the mission of the church. Rather, pray about it give it to God and sort it out well before it gets to that point. Now, I want to acknowledge at this point that there's uh, some of us who are battling clinical anxiety, the ramped up, paralyzing, uh, chronic anxiety that doesn't allow us in the midst of our anxiety attacks to say an eloquent prayer. However, Paul Paul doesn't differentiate here between trivial anxiety and clinical anxiety. He prescribes the same course of action. But here's how I would adapt what we're learning for you, if this is you. If you can't bring yourself to pray, and that's fine, have these verses printed somewhere or written somewhere uh, so that you can pick it up and just read this passage over and over when you're feeling anxious. But also... Have others praying for you. Confide in a few close friends that you trust will pray for you. Uh, The key to this passage is not your ability to say a beautiful prayer, but in your ability to understand that the Lord is near. I'll say that again. The key to this passage is not your ability to say a beautiful prayer, but in your ability to understand that the Lord is near. To go back to the tap analogy, uh, if you're ever too anxious or too worked up to drink from the tap, just stand under it for a while. We are not temples of anxiety. We were not made to house or accommodate worry. We cannot hold on to our anxieties and hold on to God at the same time. He's either your everything he's god of the universe capable of changing our lives in an instant capable of dealing with every anxiety or is nothing you see if your version of god can't handle your anxieties then how's he going to handle your sins what paul is what paul is saying here should boggle your mind a little bit you should have a few questions perhaps and go surely it can't be that easy Dave, well, wait, there's more. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, When I was a young lad at uni, I was a pizza delivery boy, uh, and I got to see the pizza shop from behind the scenes. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen how a commercial Pizza oven works, but it's a rectangular oven with a conveyor belt that runs along the bottom and basically um, It's the world's most Magnificent machine you put a raw pizza on the conveyor belt at one end and The speed is perfectly set so that the raw pizza just goes under the oven and it all cooks and then pops out the other end just perfect That's how pizzas are cooked. And I want you to take that picture of the pizza oven and apply it to this passage. It might be helpful. Um, What God is inviting us to do is to put our, our anxieties on the conveyor belt. To put our anxieties on the conveyor belt and allow them to travel through the hot oven of prayer and conversations and wrestling and submission with God, where he applies... His peace and contentment to the unknowns of our lives. And what pops out the other end is us still not knowing the future, still not sure what tomorrow brings, but peaceful because we've entrusted our anxieties to the good God of the universe. Let me just dig into that a little bit more. If you have anxiety over your car that is breaking down, uh, and you pray to God about it. What Paul, um, what Paul isn't telling us is that God will give you a new car or the money to fix it. He might do that. That's totally up to God. But what Paul is telling us here is that He might give you, He will give you peace, and that peace might be peace about catching the bus. It might give you peace about carpooling. Or getting out and exercising now that you can walk everywhere. God isn't a genie. He may choose to do a miracle in your life. That's a possibility. But this text tells us that God will give us his peace. You see, God is not a genie because he does not exist for our lives to be trouble-free like a genie does. Or doesn't. Genies aren't real. Sorry. Uh, we were made to give him glory. And sometimes God gets more glory by giving you peace within the storm than removing the storm. Paul tells us that the peace of God surpasses all of our understanding. What does that mean? It doesn't just mean that it's high-grade, five-star quality um, peace, better quality peace than you've ever imagined in your whole life. It also means that it will surpass your understanding of arriving when you didn't expect it. When everything around us is fear inducing, um, anxiety awakening and and we pray about those anxieties and surrender them to God and we receive his peace amidst the chaos. That's peace that surpasses all understanding when the whole situation says you should be freaking out and yet you there you are with peace because of what God has promised through prayer right now you might have utter chaos in your life I'm not sure but I want you to know that God can give you peace you can have sickness disease loss of income loss of friendships, loss of family. You might be anxious about being single. You might be anxious that your marriage is falling apart. You might not know how you're going to pay the next bill. Maybe you made an investment in something and that investment's falling through the floor. Maybe you wish you could have kids. Maybe you just found out that you're pregnant and you're not stoked about it. Maybe you're anxious because you're not sure if you're a Christian. Whatever it is, and I mean whatever it is, God wants you to take it to him. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. He wants, God wants your anxieties because it's stopping you from doing what he made you to do. Your anxieties are dragging your vision down rather than lifting your vision to the God of peace. Your anxieties make you feel like this is your problem to solve when Jesus died to make it his problem. As I said before, you cannot hold on to your anxieties and hold on to God as well. One of those has got to go. And so as I finish, uh, I'm going to ask you, Three questions, and I'd love you to, wherever you are, just to close your eyes, uh, to help you ask these questions to yourself. Question one, what anxieties are you holding on to that you're trying to control, that you're trying to deal with, that you need to surrender to God? Do you trust God enough to surrender those? Will you use his gift to you of prayer to surrender your anxieties to him? I'm going to give you 30 seconds now to do just that. You've named what your anxieties are. Hopefully you've said, yes, I do trust God enough. So now take... 30 seconds to surrender those anxieties to God before I close in prayer. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you now as uh, as frail, confused, Stressed humans who at times feel tossed to and fro by this life. But Lord, we trust in your word. We trust that as we surrender control of our lives to you, that as a good God, as our loving Father, you are able to provide us with your peace. Father God, I ask now for everyone watching and listening here today that we would relinquish control of our lives to you that we would see how detrimental it is to ourselves and those around us when we hold tight to our worries today father we restore you to your rightful position as king on the throne of our lives it's through jesus that we come before you and it's